strong, committed followers of Jesus Christ with their foot set on a firm foundation. That's what I want to be. That's what I want you to be. That's what I want our church to be. To know that we are strong, committed followers of Jesus Christ with our foot set on a firm foundation. And that firm foundation is Jesus Christ. And I am so thankful for Him. That we do not base our faith on circumstances or how we feel or what we think in our opinion or what this world or culture have to say. But it's based on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Psalm chapter 40 verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And He turned to me and He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground. And He steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what He has done and be amazed. And they will put their trust in the Lord. All of us, all of humanity... Me, you, everyone who has ever lived or will live, was born in a pit of despair. And out of that mud and that mire, Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone picked us up out of that, out of our sin, placed us on a solid rock that we might trust in the Lord. I've been praying for us in this time and for you for a while now that I want us to be firm, solid ground and I want weak Christians to feel weird in here. (laughs) Feel out of place. Like, what's with all these giant people of faith around here, okay? And then there's a decision to make, okay, am I going to like go somewhere else where I can hear what my itching ears want to hear? Or am I going to (laughs) push forward and place my feet on a solid rock? I don't want we Christians. I want solid, committed followers of Christ with their foot set on a firm foundation. And so in thinking about this, this this series really isn't a series, but it's a series. It's just just go with me, okay? Because what I'd like to do is really do this over the next couple of years take a foundational Christian doctrine, not just some of the God doctrine, but Christian doctrine, and say this is what we believe and why we believe it and why you can stand firm on this. This isn't just a, well, this is just what we think happens. No, we have a firm foundation to stand on. And so it just so happens that, that over the next six weeks, I'm going to take three of these and do it kind of to start us off, but really I want to do this over the next several years in between other series that we do. So this week and next week, is, is, it's two and I want to start with this right here. The Bible. This is the word of the living God. This is where we base our decisions. This is what we look to. This is what we read. Knowing that the God of heaven and earth is actually speaking to us through this Bible. And I think that sometimes... Sometimes there are some Christians 
who are followers of Christ who treat this Bible sometimes like whenever you, uh, you get online and you want to download something or you want to buy something and then there's that page that it comes to with like that long scrolling terms and conditions, the internet terms and conditions, and it's like, I don't want to read all of that, and then there's that button there that says, I have read and accept, and you just click, I have read and accept, and you move on, right? We've all done that, okay? Well, I, I want to be a Christian. Okay, well, you got to read this. Uh, I accept. Sure, I just want to be a Christian. Now, how can we plant our feet on a firm foundation without reading, without knowing what it says? I don't want to just, yeah, sure, I just want to do the Christian thing. I just want to come to church, read and accept. Sure, that's what I did. No, I want us to have a firm foundation of what we stand on and what we believe. There are some who want to try to compare God to the myths of Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. Sorry if there's kids here in the room, okay? Cover their ears, all right? There's no evidence for Santa Claus or for the Tooth Fairy. There is a mountain of evidence for God. Hence, a mountain. Part of the evidence for God. <laughs> okay? And so I, I don't understand whenever people want to compare God to Santa Claus or the tooth fairy. Like, they know what happens. Right? Like, we do that and then we say that they did it. Did these people outside think that we are parting Red Seas and, and healing cancer and then just saying God did it? Like, the comparison does not match at all. There is no, no evidence for these things that they want to call, that they call myths and things. There is evidence for God. And we see it all the time. And we see it everywhere. And we read it right here in this book. People sometimes, they say things, or they, they, they want to claim things, and they don't really have any knowledge behind it. Have you ever said something that you believed to be true and then you found out later was not true. Maybe you said something like, the Dallas Cowboys are going to win today. Okay, sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe you said something like, okay, I was on the couch a couple months ago and I was on the couch and uh, my wife was looking, looking for something, Becky was looking, and she said, hey, do you know where the batteries are? Double A batteries. And I said, yeah, they're in the second drawer. And she said, uh, no, no, they're not. And I said, yes, they are. <laughs> and she said, well, I'm, I'm looking in the second drawer. And I said, Becky, they're in the second drawer. Okay, you know, they're not in the second drawer. So I stood up extremely confidently, walked very smugly across the living room, Oh, a man has never walked so smugly in his life. Is smugly a word? Oh, yeah, it is. Okay. Walked over to that drawer, opened that drawer, as confident, as smugly as you can open a drawer, I did. As I began to frantically move pennies and paper clips out of the way, picked up a button, thinking that there was going to be a pack of AA batteries underneath that button, I regret to inform you that nary a battery was found in the second drawer. <laughs> and I looked over at my sweet wife, and she said, well, you know what, something's just between me and her, okay? There's no reason to tell you everything, okay? <laughs> There's no reason to tell you everything. Some, I, don't, I don't have to owe y'all anything. I don't have to tell you anything, okay? 
I based my belief on what I thought I knew. And there are sometimes things happen that I don't know about. Is it possible one of the kids moved it? Is it possible that's not where I put them in the first place and I was mistaken? But I built my belief system on what I thought I knew, my opinion, my experience that I could remember. That's not why we base our, what we base our belief systems on. We look in the Word of God. And so I don't want us to be out in a place where maybe we're in a crowd of people, we're with friends, we're with family, we're with coworkers, and the subject of God gets brought up, and we start looking around like, I need an adult, okay? Is there, some, is there a better Christian around here who can answer this? I want you to be that better Christian. I want you to stand firm and know what's talking about. Also, I don't want, if a time comes where, you know, things aren't going so well at the house, or money isn't there like it used to be, I don't want to start making our decisions based on our current circumstance. We make our decisions based on the Word of God and what it says. This is what we do. So today's going to be a little bit different. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be a little bit different today. Okay? But we're going to look at this Word of God. Professor Montiero Williams, former Bowdoin professor of Sanskrit, he spent 42 years studying Eastern religious books. Do you hear me? 42 years studying Eastern religious books, and this is what he said of the Bible. Pile them, if you will, talking about all the Eastern religious books. Pile them, if you will, on the left side of your study Bible, or study table, but place your own holy Bible on the right side, all by itself, all alone, and with a wide gap between them. For there is a gulf between it and the so-called sacred books of the East, which severs the one from the other utterly, hopelessly, and forever. Wow. And this guy knows his stuff, okay? This Bible is special. The Bible is, to say the least, unique. Even if you don't think it's inspired, you have to see how unique it is. And it is inspired, by the way. Today we're going to talk a little bit of the historical side of the Bible. Next week we're going to talk about the inspired side of the Bible. A little bit historically, okay? It is different from all others. The Bible was written over a 1,500 year span. That's 1,500 years of writers that wrote this Bible. It is unique. Nothing, nobody, no Bible, come, no book comes close to it. It was written by about 40 different authors from all walks of life. Different people, rich, poor, everything. Moses was a political leader trained in the universities of Egypt. Peter was a fisherman. Both authors of the Bible, polar opposites. Joshua was a military leader. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Daniel was a prime minister. David was both a shepherd and a king when he added, when he wrote. He had both perspectives. Luke was a doctor, Paul was a rabbi, and Matthew was a center tax collector. I mean, we've got all walks of life who wrote this Bible. Not just authors, it was written in different places. It was written in the wilderness, it was written in a prison. It was written in a palace, it was written while on the road, it was written while stranded on an island, and on the front lines of, the, of a battle. It was written everywhere. And not just in one country, it was written on three continents. In Asia, in Africa, and Europe, this Bible was written. It was written with different styles and languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. In this one book, there is history, poetry, Civil, criminal, ethical, ritual, and sanitary law in this Bible. 
parables, biography, personal correspondence, diaries, prophecy, and apocalyptic. It's everything in this Bible. It was written describing incredibly controversial issues. Politics and religion is in here. You're not supposed to talk about either one of those things. They're both in here. Not only that, it talks about slavery, sex, death, the afterlife, and the relationship between men and women. Let's not talk about that, okay? This Bible talks about this. Think about that. So many years, so many different authors, walks of life, different continents, languages, but yet there is a unity that binds it together. And that unity points to a humble, sacrificial, but powerful, loving, divine Messiah with justice and mercy. All walks of life for so many years, all pointing to the same Jesus Christ. Which brings the consistency question to a halt. The book Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. If you've never read that book, I highly recommend Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. He was talking with a representative of the great books of Western world. And he was talking specifically about American authors. And he talked for an hour and a half about all these American authors that that did this and great works and all this. Josh challenged him to take ten of these authors from one walk of life, one generation, one place in America, one language, and just pick out one controversial subject. And he said, would all of these authors agree on the one subject? And he said, um, no. And he said, well, what would you have? He said, you would have a conglomeration. So the same person, about the same age, from the same part of the country, talking about the same controversial issue, you would have ten different opinions. But here in the Bible, 1,500 years, 40 authors, all walks of life, say the same thing. There's something inspired about that, which is amazing. The Bible has withstood vicious attacks from its enemies for centuries, from the Roman Empire before to communist countries today. There are people who do not like this Bible. Let me tell you something. If for centuries there have been people trying to shut this Bible down, this Bible probably has something to say that they don't like. You don't try to shut something down that isn't going to affect you in any way. But they've done it for years. Voltaire, the famous French philosopher, said that in a hundred years of his death, Christianity will be swept from existence and passed into history. He died in 1778. Plus a hundred years, we're still here. We're still here. In AD 303, Diocletian issued an edict to stop Christians from worshiping. So he said, how are we going to stop Christians from worshiping? He said, we have to destroy their scriptures. And this was actually before the Bible came together the way that we see it now. He said, the way to stop Christianity is to destroy their scriptures. He said, listen to this, all who held the opinion that Christianity is true should lose civil rights and their liberty. Does that sound familiar? It's insane. Men and women have been martyred for thousands of years for believing that the Bible is the word of God. Polycarp, Wycliffe, John Huss, William Tyndale, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and J.W. Tucker, just to name a few. But Christianity lives on. The Bible is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. (laughs) For centuries. For centuries. What about other writings? Sometimes what you have to do is if you're going to attack a writing, 
What about, all, what about other writings? How sure are we of these other writings? If you look at Shakespeare, Shakespeare has only been around for about 300 years, his writings, and is far more uncertain than the New Testament. In his 37 plays, there are about 100 readings still in dispute today with a large portion of the materials that affects the meaning of the passages. So there are some plays that are being said in his name that we're not even sure if he wrote all of them, and they're not even sure if the tone and the plot is what he originally meant. And this is just stuff from 300 years ago. There is no, zero writings in Islam that pointed prophetically to the coming of Muhammad. But the Bible does this throughout the Old Testament from different authors. If you look at other writings around the Bible's time, okay? So that's, that's kind of one thing that they like to do. Let, let, let's compare writings around the, around the same time, okay? So what you want to look at is what do we still have today of writers that was back then, and then how far away are the copies away from the originals, okay? So let's look at, a, let's look at this graph here. Let's look at uh, one person here. Let's look at Plato, okay? You want to look at the author, existing copies, and the years between them, Okay? So if you look at Plato, we have seven existing copies. I don't think it's not working this morning, right? It's coming. All right. We got seven existing copies from Plato. Okay? All the things that he said, the things that he wrote. There are 1,200 years between the original of what he wrote and what was said and a copy that was written down. Not that they found it 1,200 years later, that the copy was made 1,200 years after the original. So we have seven of those copies. Caesar, what he said and talked about, there are ten existing copies. Ten copies, a thousand years between the original and the copy that was made. Ten. Aristotle, you've heard of him? We have 49 existing copies. 49 copies of his original 1,400 years between the original and his copies, the copies that were made. Homer and the Iliad, you heard of the Iliad? 643 copies, now we're getting somewhere. Okay, now we're getting to a good number of copies where we can look at some copies and say, okay, here's the original, here's the copies, we have 643 of them, we have a pretty good idea, and it was written only 500 years after the fact. Okay, good, now, now we've got a piece of... Uh, uh, a manuscript, uh, an article that we can look at and say, okay, that's, that might be pretty close to what he said. 643, 500 years away. You know what the New Testament has that we have today? We have over 24,000 copies of the New Testament that we're able to look at and say, this is what the original says. Not only are there 24,000 plus the years between the original and the copy is somewhere between 40 and 70 years. 40 and 70. Not 500, not 1,000, 24,000 copies. The problem when it comes to authenticity, when, it, when we want to claim inerrancy or infallibility, which means does the Bible have error? The, like the Bible is without error. Okay? There are these two words called variant and corruption. Okay? Variant corruption. So corruption, because um, maybe you've heard this before, isn't the Bible corrupted? Hadn't it been corrupted over the years? Have you heard this, possibly? The Bible's been corrupted over the years. All right. So if you ever looked in the dictionary, you'll see when you're looking up the definition of a word, many times most words have more than one meaning to the word that you're looking up, right? 
There's, there's, here's one meeting, two, three, four, five, six, seven, okay? So when you hear the word corruption, especially our, in our 2022 mindset, uh, the first definition of corruption that we think of is something that is evil or bad or wrong. And so even if they have done something good, they did it for evil motives. Why? Because they're corrupt. There's corruption. So we think of maybe a political leader or we think of uh, a big bad business or we think of just a person. Even if they do something good, they're doing it for bad reasons because they're corrupt. Okay, so when someone says the Bible is corrupted, that's what people want you to think. That they, they added or they wrote words with bad intentions. Jesus said this, but we're going to say that Jesus said this. We're going to corrupt what Jesus said. That's not what the word corrupt means when you're authentic, authenticating scholarly manuscripts. Okay? What it means is that we have a copy here that says this, we have a copy here that says this, and there's different. We think that this is close to the original, this one's not close to the original, and because of this error, this is a corrupt document. So when, you, when this document is corrupted, then it needs to be fixed. Some of you, you work with documents, you get 30 pages from your boss, you've got to read it. Okay, well, there's a misspelling here, there's a date that's wrong here. Okay, that's corrupt. Do you throw that in the trash and start all the way over? Or do you fix the corruption? You, you fix what's, what's messed up. And so that's what's going on here. So we've got a copy. This copy says this. This copy says this. And we're trying to figure out which one is the right one. One of them's wrong, and so it's corrupted. It's not changed with malice intent. There's something wrong with it. So then that corruption, that one thing, is called a variant. So there's something wrong with the document. That is a variant. So there's a man named Bart Ehrman. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. He's one of the foremost... Uh, leading scholars, if, if you want to say, uh, critical of the Bible. This says the Bible is not real. How do we know for sure that it's real? Okay, He says that there are somewhere around 400,000 variants, wrongs, inconsistencies, mess-ups, in the New Testament alone. 400,000. Okay? Now, of these 400,000, we find out 400,000 is like a big number, doesn't it? That's like a lot. That's, that, that's a lot of... Ugh. Let me give you another big number. 99%. That's a big number. 99% of the 400,000, we find out, that he says in his book, um, are actually misspellings. So there was a word that, you know, you misspelled righteousness over here, okay? When you're translating from this over here, you're, you're going to get people from different areas. You're going to spell things differently. You know how we spell some words different than England spells their words? Like they add U in the middle, like the letter U in the middle of some of their words. I'm like, what are you doing with that U? Just drop that thing, okay? There's misspellings. And he's going to call those variants, okay? He says that there's something wrong with that. 99% of it is misspellings or a slip of the pen or something like that. Not 400,000 were trying to change Scripture. There was a mistake that was, made, that was made like that. You say, okay, well, what about the 1%? Should we be worried about this 1%? All right. So you know how sometimes in your Bible it will say, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And sometimes it says, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a variant. We've got a problem. You're changing Scripture. Is it the Lord Jesus Christ or is it Jesus Christ the Lord? And sometimes it says Jesus Christ. There's one author. 
he says, uh, in, like we're looking in the Gospels, and three of the Gospels say Jesus Christ, but Mark, he only said Jesus. Does that mean that Jesus is saying that Jesus was not the Christ? Is that what he's saying? No, because he calls him Christ in other places. He just didn't add Christ in that one part that the other people say that it is. There are some words that it's hard to translate between languages. I asked Miss Angie in the office a couple of weeks ago. I said, this phrase in English, how would you say this phrase in Spanish? And she thought about it. She said, actually, you could say it two different ways in Spanish. Okay, so if you're going to copy that, now we have two variants. Which one is it? Well, it depends on who you're talking to and how you're talking about it, what the situation is. So there's a word. So you know how words sometimes are very close to each other, even in English? The words weird and wield. They're very close to each other, right? But they have different meanings. Weird and wield. All right? So there's the Greek word uh, for the word gentle. So when Paul says, we are gentle among you, that word gentle, it's actually pretty close to the word that would mean horses. So does Bart Erdman think that maybe the text says we are horses among you? Is that what it is? No. It was an obvious mistake a simple mistake, not a theological mistake, of, hap- of what happened. Sometimes it says the temple of God. Sometimes it just says the temple. Well, what temple are you talking about, scribe? Okay, well, we're talking about the temple. That's the one that we're talking about. These are the variants that we're talking about. This is the problem that they bring of Christianity. And they say, how do we know what you're talking about is true? Is it... Is it Jesus Christ the Lord? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it just Jesus Christ? Imagine you take two friends to a concert, and then I talk to, your, I, I talk to you guys. How was the concert? And you say, well, the concert was great. I really like the lead singer's navy blue shirt. And the guy next to you says, navy blue? That shirt was black. And the guy next to you says, well, it looked gray to me. Now I step back. <laughs> you guys better get your story straight. Is it black? Is it navy blue? Is it gray? I'm starting to think there was no concert. Is that what you would conclude? <laughs> okay? Is that, is that the conclusion? Something happened, okay? Was it Jesus Christ the Lord? Was it the Lord Jesus Christ? Was it just Jesus Christ? I'm starting to think there was no God. How would you come to that conclusion? All right, so here's, here's what happened. So when they, wrote, when they wrote a letter, so let's say Paul writes his letters to the Roman, to the Roman church, the, the house church is there. Paul writes his letter, and uh, so he's writing, and they send it, and they send it to the churches, and these churches go, wow, this is fantastic, we want to copy this, we want to write this down. So they begin to copy it, So then, and several people are copying it. So then that person says, we want the people in Thessalonica to know what he said about, uh, to the Roman church. So they write it down, they copy, and they take that copy to Thessalonica. They read it there. Whoa, that's great. They need to hear about this in Ephesus. So they make a copy and they do it. And so you've got copies of copies of copies of copies rolling around all over Israel. So when you first think of that, you're like, ugh, is that, is that good? Is that good that there's copies of copies of copies of copies? Okay, let me illustrate it like this. I'm giving you some illustrations here today, okay? I'm just, I'm, this, is, this is what we're doing, all right? So let's say we've got, I'm going to put Romans 8 up here on the board, or up here on the, on the screen. Okay, so I've got Romans 8, and, uh, and I've asked Sam, Sam, I need you to write down Romans chapter 8, just as it's said, okay? Because at a time that I'm not going to tell you, we're going to take down Romans chapter 8, okay? 
And when we take it down, it's going, Romans chapter 8 is going to be deleted from the internet. It's going to be ripped out of your Bibles. No one anywhere is going to have Romans 8 except for what you wrote down. Good luck. I <laughs> uh, hope you get it right. Okay? Now, that would be pretty hard. So we put it up. He writes it down. And then he drops it. Yeah, we're not there yet. But he drops it. We put Romans 8 up. He starts writing, 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 writing. We drop it down. It's now gone. Romans 8 is nowhere on the internet and Bibles nowhere. All we have of Romans 8 is what we have right here of what Sam wrote. That's pressure, isn't it? Oof. But now what if I was to say, okay, I'm going to get 10 of y'all to do that. 10 of y'all write this down, okay? So we put Romans 8 up and now 10 of you are writing it. We drop Romans. It's gone. It's gone. Now we have 10 copies and we're able to look and we're like, okay, you misspelled righteousness over here, Sam. And the reason why we know that is because all the other nine have it spelled correctly. You're like, uh, one of you have, don't have verse 7. Why don't you have verse 7? All, there's verse 7 in all the other ones. So if you have 10 copies, you can be strengthened in the fact that you're going to get the original. You guys with me on this? Now what if I asked 100 of you to do it? Now we're able to look at all these copies and figure out which one's closest to the original. That's what they did when we, they brought all of the copies together to find out what is closest to the original. Now if we look back at our graph... Plato has seven copies, Caesar has 10, Aristotle has 10, 49, Homer has 643, and the New Testament, we have 24,000 copies. They took this mountain of evidence and looked, and they were like, oh, there's a variant here, there's a, there's a corruption there, okay, there's this and there's that, but they start whittling it down, we have the original of what Romans 8 and what the whole New Testament has to say. That was the process that they did be able to do that. So what if you took, what if we wrote a Bible, what if we had a Bible that all the variants were fixed, okay? Let's say we had this Bible right here, and what if you had another Bible over here that you did not fix the variants? You didn't fix it. It was, was 400,000 corruptions. What kind of Bible would you have? Are you ready? Not one variant touches any serious doctrinal issue at all. You would have pretty much the same Bible. Well, who said that? Probably some Christian who's trying to, nope, Bart Erdman, in his uh, book, Misquoting Jesus, is the name of the book, Misquoting Jesus, the guy that said there's 400,000 variants, in his appendix, not in the book, but in the part where people don't read, in his appendix, he says, essential Christian beliefs are not touched by any variants. So why, if you know it true, that 400,000 variants do not touch Christian religion, why would you get out there and say it? Because people want to erode our belief in the Word of God. And they want to come against it. And you know what? It's no different than what the snake said to Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say? Got her to doubt the Word of God. And they're still trying to do it today. But this word of God is true. We can have confidence that we are reading the word of God. This is the word of God. When they got together and they put, uh, they decided, they recognized the canon. They asked several questions to make sure that they were getting what the canon was, what this Bible is. And they asked questions like, is it authoritative? Did it come from a thus saith the Lord place? Is it prophetic? Was it written by a man of God? Not just was it a story, was it a myth? Yeah, we'll add that. 
No, was it written by a man of God? Is it authentic? Was it as close to the original as we can possibly get? And they had a policy, if in doubt, throw it out. I don't know if they rhymed it or not, but that's basically what it, okay? If in doubt, throw it out. Is it dynamic? Did it come from the life-transforming power of God? Like Paul wrote other letters to people, but there was, it wasn't inspired. It was just a letter that he wrote. But there were some that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, was it received, collected, read, and used? Was it accepted by the people of God? You've got Jesus quoting the Old Testament up and down the whole time. Right? What's interesting in Luke, he says, from the blood, what was it, Luke, did I, did I write it down? Luke 11, he's, uh, he says, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. So the first martyr to the last martyr of the Old Testament, found in 2 Chronicles. Which is, 2 Chronicles is actually the last book, chronologically, of the Old Testament. So he's setting up the Old Testament. He says, from the blood of Abel, first book of the Bible, to the blood of Zechariah, the last martyr in the Old Testament. There's your Old Testament. Then you've got in, where did I go? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, you've got Peter acknowledging Paul's work as Scripture. So were other apostles calling it Scripture? Were they calling Scripture Scripture? That's what we're going to use as Scripture. They didn't, there was some fighting, there was some of this, hey, we want this book in there. But for the most part, people came together and they said, this is what we've been saying in the Scripture for a long time, we're going to recognize it now. Then you look at things like Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947, which gave more validity. There are other findings that are being happening right now. What's interesting is that our earliest manuscripts are from recent discoveries, like the last 150 years. There are no new readings. So when they find new readings of the Bible, they aren't like, oh, that's what the Bible meant. No, what they're doing is that they are confirming the old ones. This is what the Bible meant. It hasn't changed. All of these new discoveries are not different than what it was a thousand years ago. This Bible has been the same. Sir Frederick Kenyon did a lot of study on this. He said the Christian can take, take the whole Bible in his hand and say without fear or hesitation that he holds in it the true word of God handed down without essential loss from generation to generation throughout the centuries. I believe that it's God's hand has preserved our faith. God's hand through the centuries has preserved our faith. So when we open up this Bible, and I challenge you to open up this Bible. This is not a book of good advice and fun stories. This is the Word of God. You say, I wish God would speak to me. The Word of God is speaking to you. This is the Word of God. We, this should be cherished. People have died. People have brought things together, have, have painstakingly brought it together so that we can have this Bible here today and have confidence we are standing on the rock. So when we open up our Bible and reread passages of Scripture, we know what we're reading. For instance, when we read in Romans chapter 8, the one I tried to get rid of earlier. Romans chapter 8, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We can read that and know that it's true. Are you having trouble with direction in your life? You can look in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, 6, Trust in the Lord 
with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will what? Make your paths straight. You can read that and have confidence that God is leading you the right way. Some of you, you're worried. And you feel down and defeated. You can look, open up the Word of God, and you can read in Isaiah. And He says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those words are in this Bible. The Word of God. Have you ever wondered, am I, am I out here by myself? Like, God, are you going to help me out? Are you going to go with me in this? I feel scared. I feel afraid. You don't have to. Because God's Word to Joshua is the same words to you. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Church, God is with you. Are you brokenhearted? Are you dealing with situations and you don't know what to do? You can look at when David wrote in Psalm chapter 34. We've read it before. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Do you have a broken heart? God is close enough to fix that broken heart. And how do we know that? Because we stand on the Word of God. Maybe if the things in the past, if they're true, maybe we can look to the future and those things are true as well. We can read in the Word of God that says in Revelation chapter 21, As I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them, and they will be his pe- He will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You can read that and be confident in this word of God. Be confident. Maybe you sin and you feel far away from God. He's, he, there is no one further away from God than me. God just feels so far. He can't hear my prayers. He can't do anything. We read in this Word of God. We don't look at our circumstances and how we feel. But we read the Word and give us confidence that says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. We read that in here, and we stand on that. We don't stand on our circumstances. We stand on the Word of God. Nothing can separate you from Him. And then we end with the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Church, our foundation is on the rock You can stand on this Word of God and read it and know that it's true. Know that it's true. Know that it's true. 
Are you standing on the rock? Do we stand on the rock, church? If you can't stand this morning, we're going to give praise and honor to God. <laughs> Begin to do it right now. Give Him praise and honor. Thank you, Jesus. Your word does not return void. Lord, thank you, God. This is your Bible. We stand on this word of God. We stand on the rock that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. This is what we stand on. And we lift you up, Jesus. We're going to sing this song, but worship him this morning, knowing that we can stand on a firm foundation, a solid ground. Let's worship the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, you can do better than that. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Here in the power of Christ, we stand. We stand. We stand. Church, it is a firm foundation that we stand. It is a firm foundation. It's not some blind faith where I'm going to hear somebody, hopefully they'll catch me. It's not a blind faith. We have something to stand on. His Word. His Word. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Church, begin to talk to him. Just talk to him. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. 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 Lord, we love you, God. We lift you up, standing on a firm foundation on solid ground. Solid ground, Jesus. Solid ground. When the rains come down and the floods come up, Lord, our house is built on the rock. Built on the rock. Lord. Christ is my firm foundation. Yes, Lord. Yes, God. The rock on which yes, God. I stand. Yes, God. When everything around me shaking, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. He's never let me down. Never. He's never. faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. He won't. Oh, 
Lord, you've been faithful too many times. This is my firm foundation. Hallelujah. You've been too faithful. The rock on which too I stand. Too faithful. With everything around me shaking. Come on, church, exercise your faith here. Let's I've worship never you. Been more exercise your faith. That I put my faith we put in our faith Jesus. in you, Jesus. Cause he's never let me down. Faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. Yes, Lord. He won't. He's not going to fail. He's not going to fail you, church. He won't fail. He won't fail. He won't fail. He won't fail. Oh, he won't. Yes. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, he won't fail. He won't fail. Hallelujah, the rains came, the winds blew. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My faith was built on Jesus Christ. God, we say thank you. Church, let's thank him. Lord, we thank you for being a solid, solid ground. We were in the pit, in the muck, in the mire. Lord, you picked us up and you set us on solid ground. And you steadied our walk. We can have faith in you and trust in you and know that you are real. That you tell the truth. And you are the truth. We put our faith in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.